Hey, uh, so this morning, if you want to open up your Bibles, we are going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, and if you are not sure where that is, you can use your concordance. You can open it up on the River Ridge app on your phone, or it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, it's going to take us a few minutes to get to 1 Kings chapter 19, but I want to know that that's where we're going this morning. <clears throat> uh, this morning, we are wrapping up our series, which is titled, What's Your Problem? And uh, over the last three weeks, it's been a really good series. First week, I talked about politics and how we can remain unified in the midst of a divided, divided country politically. The second week, we talked about time and how when it comes to time, uh, we need to slow down and stop being overscheduled. We just talked about how do we live at a pace that we're walking where we can be used of God. I encourage you to get that if you feel overrushed, busy, hurried, and so forth. Uh, and then last week, uh, Keith talked about uh, difficulty in relationships, and specifically kind of with the idea of holidays and family, is how do we apply this to our family? And I thought, man, that's a great sermon. Might have to use that someday. Uh, I'm sitting at Thanksgiving dinner, and there are two people at my family. There's about 12 of us there. Um, and uh, there, somebody says something very inflammatory, and then somebody else has the opportunity to respond or not. And the whole time, I'm thinking in my head, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And I am repeating the words from Keith's sermon over and over my head so that I don't lash out and say something inflammatory or stupid. So, uh, but anyway, if you found yourself in that situation at the Thanksgiving dinner, it's going to happen again in December at the, at the uh, Christmas Eve dinner. So make sure you listen to that sermon if you have issues in terms of sometimes some relationship struggles. So this morning, we're dealing with a pretty heavy topic. And the topic that we're going to deal with this morning is depression. And it's a topic that we put intentionally at this time of year because when it comes to the holidays, it is something that gets escalated or it's something that gets swept under the rug. And here's what I mean by that. Is when it comes to depression, this may be something that you personally struggle with. If it's not you, then there's very likely somebody in your family or someone that you are close to that struggles with depression. So we're going to talk about what does it mean for us, but also how do we recognize it and maybe minister to people around us. But we're talking about it at the holidays because the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, these are supposed to be times where we're happy and joyous and glad and good tidings and all that stuff. But yet, if you don't feel that way, if that's not what's going on in your heart, it adds to the depression. It adds the difficulty of life because you're supposed to celebrate, and it looks like everybody else is celebrating out there or at least faking it, and you don't feel like that inside yourself. And so we're going to talk about depression. And as we do that, I want you to understand a couple of things. First of all, I am not an expert on depression um, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not an expert on depression, um, but in pr preparing for this message, I have prayed a ton, I have read the scriptures, I have listened to some sermons and talks, I've talked to people who have depression, I've talked to a counselor in particular to get some feedback on this, uh, and I want to say that as we look at this topic, it's something that hits so many of us, and whether it's, again, you personally or you're able to minister to somebody else. So I pray just as we look at this topic this morning that we would have grace, but also that we would have listening ears. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look at this topic this morning of depression and what your word says about it, I pray that you would speak to us. 
I pray in all humility, Lord, that you would use my words to minister to people here and that your Holy Spirit would speak also to people here. And then as a ripple effect to the people who are here, to the people who are not here, that we would have opportunities to share and to care and to listen. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's how the American Psychiatric Association defines depression. Depression causes feelings of sadness and or loss of interest in activities once enjoyed. It can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems and can decrease a person's ability to function at work and or at home. And then this website that I was looking at continues and it gives some different symptoms of depression. And so you can look at this and say, is this me, as to true of yourself, or is there somebody close to you that you have noticed these and maybe they didn't notice in themselves? Changes in appetite, weight loss or gain unrelated to dieting, trouble sleeping or sleeping too much, loss of energy or increased fatigue, feeling worthless or guilty, difficulty thinking, concentrating, or making decisions, thoughts of suicide death or suicide. You know, I started this message, I've been working on it for probably two weeks, but I sat down to write it early uh, this past week on Tuesday uh, is when I wanted to begin writing it, and I woke up at 3.30 in the morning, and I tried to get back to sleep, and I tossed and I turned, and finally at 5 a.m., I got out of bed, and I began to work uh, on the message just in the quietness of my own home, and then I got to the notes that I had taken from the previous uh, week, and I got to this point, it says, Trouble sleeping is a symptom of depression. And I'm like, I must be depressed. I couldn't get to sleep last night, right? And if you look back over this list, if you look at that, like all of us feel those at one point or another in time, right? All of us have at least some of those symptoms from time to time. And so I want to help us to understand when we talk about depression, it's having these over a prolonged period of time. And if you have these symptoms, for two weeks or more, then that's when, then when physicians or clinical counselors would say that you're clinically depressed or that you need to seek professional help if you have it for that length of time. Here's some statistics about depression. One out of every 15 people will suffer from depression this year. This year. And again, it's more likely it'll happen around the holidays or around the winter season. One out of 15. One out of six people will experience major depression in their life. So one out of six of us in this room will experience major depression in our lives. One out of nine people are on an antidepressant medication, and that number is on the rise over the last two decades. In terms of suicide, 2017, there were 45,000 deaths resulting from suicide. And I, and I looked a little bit at the numbers, and it's interesting, is the second leading cause of death between 10 to 34-year-olds is suicide. See, that's astounding, right? And it is. But here's what's interesting. As you look at the actual number in those age categories, it doesn't actually change. Look at this table. So suicide in 15 to 24-year-olds is 5,700. That number goes actually up a little bit in 35 to 44 and 45 to 54 to 800 or 8,400, it just goes down on the list because other things, you know, other sicknesses and illnesses take people's lives. But among that age group of the youngest people, it's the second leading cause of death. 
So why is it? Why is depression a problem? Clearly it is. Where does it come from? Well, again, research and experts would say this, that there's really four different sort of sources, and these are not independent. These are very much overlapping. One source is um, just biochemistry, elements of our own, the chemistry in our brain leads to likelihood of depression. The second is genetic, in the sense of if your parents or grandparents or a family close to you have depression or signs of depression or symptoms of depression, clinical depression, it's more likely that you will have that as well. The third is personality. There are certain personality types that are just more prone or more given to battling depression. And then the fourth is environmental factors. It's in in terms of uh, what we do, what's done to us, what has happened to us, how we live our lives, things like that, also contribute to depression in terms of what goes on around us. Unfortunately, when it comes to depression, our society, and I would even say the church more than the society, looks down or puts depression and all types of depression, whether it's postpartum depression or seasonal depression or even anxiety and some of those mental illness issues, eating disorders and so forth. Um, but it puts it in a, in a category where people are looked down upon because they have this particular ailment. And, you know, some of you guys know, and I've mentioned this a couple times, that in recent months I've had some back pain, and, um, and I have a pinched nerve in my back as best we can figure out, and it's doing okay today and over the last couple of weeks. Um, but it's in, in some ways like depression because I couldn't quite figure out what was going on, that it started as a pain in my hip flexor, and then I had pain kind of right above my hip bone here in the back, and then I had some groin issues, and then my leg was kind of cramping, and, and all kinds of different stuff. And so I went to physical therapy, and, and they, they put me this thing that I call it the rack, but they basically like put my torso in this thing, and they like stretched me apart, which kind of felt weird and good at the same time, um, and gave me stretches to do and exercises. And so it's pretty much gone away, uh, but they have me on this daily routine of every morning, I get up and I do this, these series of stretches for about oh, I don't know, three or four or five minutes. Uh, and then every night before Stacy and I go to bed, uh, we both take two pills of fish oil, right? Has anybody ever taken fish oil? Okay, the pills are like this big, or they feel this big. They're like these huge, huge pills, right? They're really big, and they smell a little bit too because they have fish oil in them, right? And so, but every night we're taking these two fish oil pills. And after about a week into this, I'm like, Stacy. I do not like this. These are big and smelly, and I don't like doing this. And she looks at me, and she goes, I'm glad I'm not big and smelly. <laughs> so she is not big nor smelly um, most days. But just kidding. But, you know, here's the thing. I tell that story about my back, and nobody in here, I don't think, is saying, Oh my goodness, he has back problems. What a terrible person he is. You know, he just needs to trust God a little bit more. He, if he read his Bible more, he wouldn't have so many back pains. You, you're not thinking that. At least I hope you're not thinking that, right? And you see, when it comes to depression, sometimes we put this in its own category. We say, oh, depression, that person's got a problem. Anxiety, that person has a problem. You know, if somebody had a torn ACL, right, you wouldn't say, well, you know, you just need to trust God more. You know, if somebody had diabetes, you wouldn't just say, well, you know, you just need to pray more, you need to read your Bible more, you need to go to church more. 
No, we would look at that and say it's something to be addressed. It's something to be an issue to learn about and figure out. And so here's what I want to understand as a church, and a church like ours that is filled with grace. When it comes to depression and some of these other mental issues, I want us to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay, and that we would let people in on what we're going through. There's a great verse in the book of Ephesians um, that says, in your anger, do not sin. And I love that phrase, in your anger, do not sin. If you have anger, there's a healthy way to deal with it and an unhealthy way to deal with it. In your anger, do not sin. And so we take the same when we talk about it, and we could put depression there. This is not what the Bible says, but I'm substituting the word because I think it very much fits. In your depression, do not sin. So the question is, when you have feelings of depression, whether it's a couple days or prolonged, in your depression, do not sin. What are you going to do with that? How are you going to react to that? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning for the next 15 or 20 minutes. We're going to talk about how do we respond when we have these feelings of depression in our lives. And also, how do we encourage people who are also going through depression, even if we're not in that state right now? And it's interesting, the Bible has a number of characters who, while it's not labeled depression, clearly had depression based on their symptoms. David had depression. Jeremiah battled depression. Job battled depression. Saul, King Saul, probably battled depression. But the person we're going to focus on this morning in 1 Kings is Elijah. And Elijah and his battle with depression. And so, again, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. But before we do that, I want to sum up what happens in chapter 18. And chapter 18 is the story of Elijah's kind of big victory. And basically what happens is it's called the battle of, uh, or the showdown on Mount Carmel. And so Elijah is a prophet of God, uh, a man of God, and then there's these prophets of Baal. And Elijah said, enough is enough, and God leads him to this. He says, we're going to have a showdown and find out if God is God or if Baal is in fact in charge of things. And so the prophets of Baal set up and this kind of big burnt offer, this offering. They take a bull, they sacrifice it, they put it there, they put wood under it. Over here we have God, uh, sort of God's side or Elijah's side, wood and, and a bull on it. And then Elijah says, okay, have your God light that bull on fire. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And all day long, and I love Elijah, read this on here. He, he kind of starts taunting them. He goes, what's wrong? Where's God? Is he in the bathroom? I mean, come on, light this thing, right? Nothing happens. And then it's time for Elijah's offering, God's offering to be lit. And he pours gallons and gallons and gallons of water on this offering, right? And they step back, and God ignites this burnt offering, and all the prophets of Baal run off, and God has won the victory. And you think about that, it's like, that is absolutely amazing. If I saw God work like that, I would never have faith issues. I would never have trust issues. I would never have doubt issues. I would never have depression issues, because God is God, look what he did. But in fact, that's not what happens. Is very shortly after this, Elijah goes into this depression. And there's a myth about depression that people who are successful don't struggle with depression. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And we see it here in Elijah's life. Incredible success, but yet depression comes his way. 
So we're going to look at his life and what he does. And, and I'm going to, we're going to talk through the scriptures here. And we're going to go through these, I don't know, 16 verses or so. And we're going to talk through them. We're going to have some I will statements. Out of it. I want to say this really clearly. This is one of three parts of the necessity of battling depression is your relationship with God and that type of thing and, and seeking the scriptures and seeking God. The second part is in terms of seeking professional help. Right? If you find yourself battling depression, it's not just read the story over and over. If you find this prolonged kind of two-week um, litmus test, if you will, then seek professional help. But keep doing this. Keep doing what we see here. And then the third is medication. Then that's part of what a doctor, physician will prescribe as part of the healing process. And I want to say that's okay. It's not like I'm not trusting God, so I have to take medication. No, God works through all of that. So. Elijah has this big victory that God gives to him. There's a woman named Jezebel, and she is part of the prophets of Baal, and her king, uh, her husband was a king of Israel, a bad king of Israel, and he, she basically says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. I don't like what you've done. So we jump in in verse 3. About partway through, it says, Elijah came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. It says he wanted to take his own life. He was suicidal. That's the ultimate end of depression is suicide. And I'm going to ask you to do something here. And Skip, if you could keep it on this verse for a minute. I want everybody to take out your cell phone. Everybody, 100%. 100%. Turn it on. Keep it on vibrate. Take out your cell phone. Okay? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not going to go on until you've taken out your cell phone and go like this because you're going to take put it on camera mode. Take a picture of me. No, don't take a picture of me. But you're going to take a picture of what's going to come on the screen uh, in just a second. Okay? So take out your cell phone. Everybody have it out. Hold it up. Okay? And I'm going to put up here. Go ahead and put it up. This is the suicide prevention hotline, and I want everybody to take a picture of it. I'll even take a selfie picture of it. There we go. How do you do these things? There we go. Okay, everybody got that? You can put your phone back in your pocket. Here's why I wanted you to do that, is I didn't want to put this up there and say, hey, if you need this, take a picture of it. So you have it. What I wanted to do is I don't want anybody to not have that number because you're too self-conscious or too conscientious, self-conscious to take a picture and have everybody see you take that picture. Now, everybody, if you want to delete it, that's fine. If you want to call it at some point in your life, if you want to give it to a friend, if you want to put it on your Facebook post or your Instagram or whatever, do what you want. But I want everybody to understand that people get to the point where you say, what's the point in living? And you call that number and people will be on the other side to talk with you through what's going on in your life. So we look at Elijah. He didn't have a suicide prevention hotline. Um, but here's what he did, and this was not a good thing to do. It says that in this passage, it says that he went away by himself. He left his servant and went about a day's journey. Here's the first, and these are all going to be I will statements or I will not statements. And the first one is this, I will not go it alone. I will not go it alone. That was one of the things that Elijah did that was not a good thing. And, you know, when we get to that point of battling depression and, and other issues in our lives as well, we get to this point where we're like, 
I'm the only one that struggles with this. And we don't share because we think nobody gets me. Nobody else has this problem. Nobody else thinks the way that I do with all the messed up thing in my head. Nobody thinks that way. And so we don't share it with somebody else because they think they won't get me. I don't want to trouble them, but they won't get me. If you're going through depression, if you're kind of in those stages where you're feeling like, man, some of these symptoms are becoming more and more true of me, tell somebody. You don't have to tell everybody, but you do have to tell somebody that can walk through it with you, that can know what's going on in your life. I love the fact, I love Celebrate Recovery, which happens every Monday night here at River Ridge Church, 6.30, dealing with depression issues, dealing with chemical addiction, dealing with um, pornography addiction, all kinds of different stuff people deal with um, on Monday night Celebrate Recovery. But one of the things I love that we say is you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. So whatever is going on, share it with somebody. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe the Bible, if you don't believe Celebrate Recovery, then at least believe Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He says this. <laughs> Took me a long time to realize it, but the key is to not be afraid to open up, especially us dudes have a tendency to keep it in. You're not alone. Share with somebody what's going on. Let's keep going. Verse 5. It says, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. Forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. You see what happens here is there's an angel who's helping Elijah to get into a pattern. He says, wake up. You need to eat. You need to drink. Now, Get some sleep. Now wake up. You need to eat. You need to drink. And then he actually takes them on this 40-day exercise journey, if you will, where they're walking to this place, this Mount of God, to Horeb. Here's what I want us to see here is the second I will statement is I will live a healthy life. I will live a healthy life. If you talk to counselors, and I ran this whole message by a counselor friend of mine. But if you talk to counselors, one of the things that they will say is part of the battle of depression is health. Get sleep, eat well, get exercise, and take those little steps day by day by day. You know, and when you're in that state where you're like, I just don't feel like getting out of bed, take that first step. It's a little step. To everybody else, it seems it's really easy, but to you, it seems hard. Take that first step and get out of bed. Take a shower and put your clothes on and get out of your pajamas. Have a meal. Take a walk. But you do those simple things, and that's part of the battle against depression. That's what the angel of the Lord walks Elijah through in this passage that we just read. Then it goes on, verse 9. It says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, this is Elijah answering, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek 
my life to take it away. Here's the thing, is Elijah has all these things rumbling around in his head, and everything that he just said is either a lie or a half-truth. You see, this is the dialogue that's going on in his head about all the problems that he's encountering. He said, for the people of Israel have forsaken you. Everybody? No, not everybody. Some? Yes, some, but not all of Israel have forsaken the Lord and his covenant. And besides, it's God's covenant with them. It says, they have killed your prophets with the sword. They've killed them all. Well, no, they haven't killed them all. Some of the prophets have died, yes, but not all of them. He says, I am the only one left, bold-faced lie, that Elijah believes. I'm the only one left. Well, actually, Elijah, you're not. You are believing a lie. And even here, I just noticed this one, just as I was reading, it says, they seek my life to take it away. No, there's no they, it's Jezebel. She's seeking your life, but it's not they, it's not everyone. Here's the third I will statement. I will not believe the lies in my head. I will not believe the lies in my head. And that's certainly easier to write down than to do. But a big part of depression is there are these lies and these half-truths that rumble around in our head and we believe them. And so a big part of it is recognizing it. And when there is an inner dialogue that is, uses the word never or always, take great caution. You know, when there's a never or always, I always get in trouble. I always do the same dumb thing. Well, no, you don't always. Maybe you did in that case, but it's not an always statement. Or no one ever appreciates me. I never get appreciated. He never shows me respect. She never. At work, I never. Or I always have to. Those are statements of lies in our head that is very rarely, if ever, a never or ever statement. Or we go, things will never get better. I will always be stuck in this rut. That's a lie that rumbles around in our head that we believe. There's one more I want to point to that has to believe in about lies in our head. This is verse 4. And it says this, and this is... Man, this is so important, and this speaks to me. It says this. Um, it says, Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah has this same. He says, I'm no better than my father's. Hey, Elijah, nobody ever said you were worse than your father's or better than your father's. He said, I'm no better because his father's walked away from God. He says, I'm no better than them because I've walked away. Nobody said that. Nobody's accusing you of that. You see, he fell into this comparison trap. And the comparison trap is a part of why we battle depression. But it's also part of the solution in recognizing that. That we have this with like, he's more talented, she's more talented. We even compare ourselves to her. I used to be this, I used to be that. That's what Elijah's doing. He says, I'm no better than my father's. He's doing this comparison trap. You see, those are the lies that we believe. And again, I think Facebook and Instagram and social media and all that stuff makes this harder because what we do, what I do is I compare how I feel about myself on a bad day to all the great stuff that you guys post about yourselves on a good day. And I, I can't live up to that. And we look at that and it causes that depression. Those are lies. The, the, the post that you put up, the great post that you put up, to an extent, it's just a snapshot. 
Is it a good moment? Yes. Is that the way your life is the whole time? No. Is that the way that my life is the whole time with cute pictures and clever captions? It's not. But we get into this comparison trap. Part of the solution with this about kind of um, not believing the lies is recognizing the good stuff that happens. I love what Brene Brown says. She writes this. She says, a good life happens when you stop and are grateful for the ordinary moment or the ordinary moments that so many of us just steamroll over to try and find the extraordinary moments. That we think life isn't good or life isn't great because we're not having these extraordinarily awesome, great moments. And she says, let's just take in the ordinary moments and be thankful for them. We're going to look at two more I will statements. The next one comes from verse 11, uh, 11 to 13. It says this, and he said, get out and stand before the mount of, excuse me, and get out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And Elijah heard it, and he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. I love that passage. It says that Elijah is trying to hear from God, and God, it says there was an earthquake, and God wasn't in the earthquake. And there was a great wind, and God wasn't in the wind. And there was a fire, and God wasn't in the fire. And then there was a quiet gentle whisper, and God was in the whisper. And so for us, what this means is we need to listen to the truth that God whispers. We need to listen to the truth that God whispers, to slow down enough in our lives and to hear from God, to balance out the lies that are in our head with the truth that God speaks to us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, here's some things that are true of you. And you can take your phone out and snap a picture of this too if you want. I'm going to read a couple. You are a child of God. You are a friend of Jesus. Jesus says, you are my friend. You are forgiven. You are no longer a slave to sin. Because you're a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation in Christ. And last, you are chosen, holy, and blameless before God. That's how God views you. Because you have Christ. He doesn't view you as broken and sinful and all that kind of stuff. He views you as holy, chosen, and blameless. Final statement comes from verse 15. It says this. It says, And the Lord said to him, Go, Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and you, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. What he does over the next several verses, Elijah is given marching orders by God. He says, anoint this king here, anoint this king here, and I want you to take an apprentice, and his name is Elisha, and I want you to pour your life into Elisha and train him up to be a prophet of God. You see, he gives him these marching orders. He says, do this with this purpose. Here's the final I am statement. I will pursue purpose beyond myself. That's what God says to Elijah. Have a purpose beyond yourself. And we want to do the same thing. 
See, it's not just about our lives. We want to focus on ourselves. We want to focus on our own recovery. But we want to care for people who are beyond ourselves, care for people outside of ourselves. That's part of the recovery process, is our pursue purpose beyond ourselves. We're going to end our service a little bit differently, as you can tell, with this. And no matter where you are this morning, I believe that God wants to meet you where you are. You may be in a pit right now, just a pit of depression and despair, and God wants to walk with you through that. You may be in a bit of a funk or just some anxiety, some stuff going on, and God wants to walk with you through that. And he may walk with you out of that, or he may walk with you through that. But regardless of what God does with you, God is with you. And he wants a future for you that is filled with hope and with light and with life.